Hi, everyone. Welcome to an exciting episode of the Revolution Podcast, where we discuss everything related to an electric mobility lifestyle. And today we'll do a quick update on the EV tax credit, the tax credit for EV charging stations, and then jump right into uh, an exciting conversation with John Volk, who famously converted his BMW to electric, which is a very cool project that uh, I'm excited to learn more about. So as far as the EV tax credit, so there was bipartisan support in 2019 to extend the EV tax credit which provides a financial incentive for the purchase of a new electric vehicle. And currently, Tesla and GM are phased out of that full tax credit due to the amount of EVs they've sold. And there was a lot of work happening to get that revised and extended. And unfortunately, at the last minute, that was removed from the spending bill for the end of 2019. However, some good news that came out of that is something called the Alternative Fueling Tax Credit, which is IRS Section 30C for anyone who is checking tax codes. And that was reinstated through the end of 2020. And always consult your tax advisor first, but essentially it offers a tax credit if you purchase and install an electric vehicle charging station. And for residential, it qualifies for 30% of the cost, up to $1,000. And a business can qualify for 30% of the cost, up to $30,000, I believe, per site or per property. Uh, And there are a ton of great incentives out there for charging stations, depending on your location, everything from Volkswagen settlement funds to utility funded rebates. So uh, we always recommend that you look out for those or reach out to us to make sure you're taking full advantage of everything that's out there and help grow electric vehicle adoption with charging stations. John, Uh, as I mentioned earlier, who has converted his BMW into fully electric. And he did this completely by himself. And I've been following him on Instagram, and he has a great YouTube channel as well. So John, welcome. And thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, anytime. Glad to be here. Let's get right into it. So tell me about the car. So BMW, Yep, it's a uh, an E30 chassis BMW. Um, to the the non BMW initiated folks, that's a uh, BMW 3 Series that was produced from uh, 1982 to 1992 in the states. And uh, this particular model is a uh, factory MTech package uh, convertible um, 1992 model year. So it's uh, the latest of the late um, for an E30. Those are cool. Those are like the slightly boxier version uh, for for those of you that can probably picture the car, uh, but very very nice looking car and it's convertible, right? Uh, yeah, and actually, you know, when I bought the car, I wasn't initially looking for a convertible. It was actually my daily driver for um, almost six six years, I believe. Um, I originally looked for a coupe, but the the convertible just kind of fell in my lap. 
And um, it actually kind of worked out pretty well with the, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about all the the added power from having the Tesla drive unit in, a, you know, a E30 in a convertible. And since the, the motor's in the back, there's really no torsional twist through the chassis. So um, it actually kind of worked out to be a pretty, pretty well-suited vehicle for it. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Such a such a cool car, and uh, very exciting. So, so what made you decide to convert this to electric? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I really had almost no interest in EV type stuff um, in the past, and it really caught my attention was the, um, I guess the the price and availability of, of Tesla drive units and the amount of power that they're able to produce. Um, in the past, I had actually briefly looked at EV stuff cause there were, you know, a few guys campaigning race cars and stuff as kind of projects that were, were pretty quick. But when you start looking into the, uh, components they were using, um, you know, it was either brush DC stuff, which I, you know, really have no interest in, or, um, any of the high power AC stuff was just, um, you know, prohibitively expensive. And, uh, so, you know, pretty my interest in cars is pretty much, you know, uh, performance related, race car related. So it, it wasn't until fairly recently that um, availability of, of hardware that made decent power um, was, you know, attainable to the, the average person. So um, once I found out that, the, you know, that type of drive unit was available, sort of running the numbers and it looks like a pretty, uh, pretty promising endeavor. And, uh, I'm definitely glad I did it. It's, uh, been a, been an interesting journey. I've enjoyed it so far and I, I definitely don't have any regrets. That's awesome. That's, that's good to hear too. So, uh, how long did it take from when you started until, uh, when you got it working? Uh, so I think from stripping the car down, uh, it originally had a, um, a Chevy LS V8 swap. Um, from pulling that out to a fully drivable car again, I think the I think it was like four months and uh, three to four weeks of that was trying to source um, a second drive unit because the first one that I got had a uh, a bad inverter with it. Nice. That's actually faster than, than I thought it would be. So, so that's cool. So were you able to find kits that you were able to piece together to do this or was every single piece of this conversion essentially separate that you had to source and figure out how to make it all work together? Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything was, was custom fitted together. There, there wasn't really any kit per se, um, you know, it was just a matter of, you know, one guy makes uh, a drive unit controller or another guy makes, uh, you know, a, a charge controller, you know, and just a matter of, you know, getting all the separate pieces and then marrying them together in the car. So, um, you know, based on the timeline of it, it all fell together really easy. Um, having built a number of, um, other typical internal combustion engine swaps, uh, this this was actually quite a bit easier to be honest. Um, you know, there was once the motor was mounted in the car, and the the biggest challenge is really just finding um, you know a place to put the batteries and and mount all the components. 
That makes sense. That's kind of what I thought. I haven't really seen any, you know, out of the box conversions out there yet. I know there there's some companies working on that, but uh, that makes sense. So, so I have to ask. So, what's your day job? So, are you an engineer, a mechanic, an electrician? Um, obviously, you are pretty. Uh, technologically and mechanically savvy if you were able to piece this together? Yes, yeah, so actually, my, my day job is I'm actually a, a product manager for an industrial motion control company. Um, I don't have any uh, formal engineering background. It's more been uh, just uh, you know doing stuff in practice. Um, but prior to uh, my current uh Current job, I used to own a uh, motorsports fabrication business, um, doing it mostly custom turbocharger components, um, roll cages, engine swaps, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I've, as I said, I've been involved in performance cars for a while. It's, this is just my uh, my first stint with anything uh, EV related. It's exciting to hear that you know that background in you know the racing and the performance vehicles kind of led you to give EVs a try. And I think that's one thing that excites me about this project so much is that you didn't go out and buy a Nissan Leaf or a Chevy Bolt or, you know, a Tesla or whatever it may be. You have that that kind of custom vehicle uh, background and brought that into the EV space with the BMW, which is really cool. And I think that resonates with a lot of people out there. So um, I don't think you're alone in that. I think that that we'll see more of that kind of as we as things progress with this stuff, as there's more batteries available and uh, as the technology increases. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think the, you know, there's a whole slew of cars coming out in 2020. There are you know, flaunting zero to 60 times in the mid to lower three range. And, you know, all these vehicles are probably going to be four to 5,000 pounds. So once these drive lines become available to, you know, retrofit into aftermarket, um, you know, old uh, classic cars are not even that old, but just lighter, more sporty chassis. then uh, you know, I think there'll be some real, real serious power potential. Um, you know, a lot of the, things that drew me to it was, you know, just a lot of minor stuff, like you're not having to wait for a coolant, uh, you know, your oil to heat up, not having to wait for a coolant to heat up. You pretty much just turn the key and start hammering on the car, which was kind of a, a neat little aspect of it. And, um, a lot of my experience with, uh, turbocharged cars comes from tuning, you know, boost by gear, traction control, things like that. And with an EV, you know, with that basically zero to five volt, throttle signal you have essentially direct torque control you're not trying to modify ignition timing or boost levels to to try to make a difference in power after the fact it's the the direct control is actually really nice yeah that makes sense especially when you look at some of the things the uh the vehicle manufacturers are you know publicly talking about that they've some of the advantage they've found like rivian for example how they can torque match each motor, which essentially means each wheel at any given time and all of the advantages that gives them so they can make it a great off-roading vehicle. And then 
you hit a button and it's a great highway vehicle and it performs very, very well because of all of those, you know, the instant torque and all of the calculation and customization you can do with these electric drives. So yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you're definitely, definitely hit the nail on the head with that. So, so with, with this project, so obviously piecing all of this together was not a simple task, although it may be easier than, than some other projects you've done in the past. What was the biggest challenge? What was the hardest part of the project? Uh, like I said, I, you know, the actual physical swap was pretty straightforward. Um, right now, as far as looking at you know the average guy trying to do a conversion, you know, there's just such a, a broad range of, of, I guess, quality of parts that are out there right now. Um, a lot of them aren't really what I would call automotive, ro- you know, built to an automotive robustness, um, you know, coming from, you know, race car parts and stuff like that. Uh, I think there's a lot of improvement that can be had in the, the EV industry. Um, but it, it, again, it's just the, I guess, modern AC, you know, salvage yard motor swap type thing is just really in its infancy. So, um, you know, that, that situation is definitely going to improve over time. Especially as, as, uh, batteries too, which is usually a a big part of that, uh, as that progresses, I think that will make, make it easier as well. So as far as the vehicle itself, so how far does this thing go before you need to recharge, um, how long does it take to charge? Does it do DC fast charging? Uh, tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Uh, it's got two complete Chevy volt, uh, battery packs. So it's around 32 kilowatt hours of battery. Um, it'll on paper should do about a hundred miles before a recharge, but reality is, you know, I drive fairly heavy footed. So, um, 60 miles or so is probably a more realistic, uh, valuation of that. Um, I don't currently do um, any DC fast charging, but I do plan on implementing um, the Chatamo uh, version of that. Um, that's one of the things that I'm working on over the winter. And um, other than that, the the standard onboard charger is the Chevy Volt, so it's only 3.3 kilowatts. Um, but for what I use the car for, I mean, I just take it out, you know, beat on it a bit, do some pulls, and then you know, put it away. So I, I really haven't had a whole lot of motivation to, to do the DC fast charging, but, um, you know, I, there's, there's a lot of value to that if I want to road trip the car. So that's, uh, definitely on the agenda. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. The majority of EV driving, uh, of EV drivers plug in where their car sits, right? So, um, something like 80% of all charging, is done at home. And then that last 10%, a lot of that is done at work for those that have access to work charging. And then a very small amount is typically done uh, at public retail sites or DC fast or something like that. So to your point, you know, it's, it's an advantage if you're taking a long trip, but if you, if you're able to charge that and plug it in at home where it sits all night, you know, probably not as necessary as what a lot of people, uh, you know, probably think who who aren't currently an EV driver yet. When you when you go out and you're driving this thing, do you get 
a lot of strange looks or confused looks if you're using a public charging station or if you're taking this thing to a car show. Um, even with a normal EV, you know, a, a production EV, uh, people seem it seem to uh, think it's kind of strange. It catches them off guard at how quiet they are. So just curious with, a, you know, early 90s BMW uh, being electric, if, if you experience anything like that. Yeah, oddly enough, anytime I'm charged in public, it really hasn't drawn any attention. I'd say... You know, driving it, um, I do sometimes get some looks because, you know, it's not perfectly silent. It does make some, uh, you know, inverter noise down low. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of an odd noise to hear coming from the car and definitely draws a lot of attention at car, sh- um, you know, cars and coffee type meets. You open the hood and it's you're full of batteries. There's no motor in there. So that's I think that's where the biggest, you know, shock from the public comes from. That That's, that's pretty cool when you open the hood and it's not... Not what people normally expect, to say the least. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome, though. That's exciting. And all, all of those people, you know, another great thing about these projects is, you know, more people will see the car when you're out there. And hopefully, you know, it, it will spread some awareness around electric vehicles that uh, they can be cool. Uh, they can be uh, fast, fun to drive, little to no maintenance involved, no oil changes, things like that. So, uh, I think that's that's one thing that excites me about the project is just that it it does does it in a unique way, and I think that that's important for the you know for the electric vehicle industry as a whole. You and I probably both agree that electric transportation is the future, whether that's um, you know electric bicycles, electric cars electric trucks to use electric transportation. So just curious to see, you know, from your perspective of the industry, what you see as some of the roadblocks or uh, perceived roadblocks with, uh, you know, with, with mainstream electric vehicle Adoption. What do you see that needs to be overcome in the industry to really see these things take off in a in a in a much larger way, a larger percentage of sales, a larger percentage of of vehicles on the road? But uh, I think cost is going to be a big driving factor since uh, you know the EVs with the range and the performance uh, that rivals internal combustion cars. Um, you know they're not exactly cheap yet, and um, you know there's a lot of uh, folks that have still a range anxiety. So the, um, you know, even, even though it's fairly rare for somebody to drive, you know, 300 miles plus in a day, there's still that, you know, nagging thing in the back of their mind that, you know, they're, they're just going to get stuck somewhere. So I think, uh, I think once some fast charging, uh, other than the Tesla supercharged network comes into play, that'll, uh, that'll help mainstream, uh, mainstream acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I think that helps, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, in in my opinion, probably, uh, the technology and the vehicles, uh, charging infrastructure. Um, and then I would say maybe even consumer awareness and just, just education around, um, around electric vehicles. And, um, you know, there are certainly some misconceptions around them as well. But to your point, I think that's I think that's a big 
uh, a big piece of it that will you know continue to get better over time as as things progress so um so another question that I'm kind of interested to hear so do you have any plans for another conversion or another project at some point in the future um you know would you i guess first would you consider doing a project like this again and then if so do you have any plans at this time to do anything like that yeah i'm I'm absolutely going to do another one um as to what that is i you know i'm still kind of undecided uh i kind of like to do something with dual motors for all-wheel drive um maybe even something like a, a home built uh you know uh chassis and kind of with the the theme of like an aerial atom um again I, to do something like that uh, you know it's really going to come down to how much battery can you package in something that small so you know maybe a year or two more of technology advancement might might help a project like that but um yeah i, I definitely definitely like it um you know in in comparing it to you know the typical turbo ls v8 cars I've, I've played with it does most things better uh the only thing that it it lacks obviously is you know doing a a pull from 80 to 180 it's you, you're just not gonna have that with a single speed um ev um you know production ev motor i think um one of the things that is kind of intriguing to me is uh the use of a two, uh, two-speed gearbox and things like uh like porsche is doing in in their new release so um yeah i think it's definitely not going to be my last and i think uh it'll be interesting to see where the technology goes in the next couple of years and how to you know, incorporate that into a, a DIY build. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And that, that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to, to seeing, you know, that next project. And I think, you know, to your point, the technology will hopefully make that easier, you know, maybe denser, uh, batteries that are lighter weight maybe it's better drive trains maybe it's you know uh two speed versus one speed um just more automotive grade components whatever that may be obviously there's billions and billions of dollars of research going into the industry right now and ultimately that's good for the oems and also good for kind of the diy section of the industry as well. So, um I think it will all continue to to progress as we as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the availability of just having um OE automotive grade motors and drive components is is going to help it tremendously because you know there, there there's tons of great grassroots companies out there that are are making stuff, but I mean any sort of small private company just catering to the the EV aftermarket is you know they're, they're never going to be able to compete with the scale of you know even you know a, a a low production run production EV of when you're talking you know tens of thousands of motors you know the economy of scale for pricing and and things like that you just you know it's it's really gonna I, th- I think that's really just gonna help the uh, the uh, the conversion market is uh, just the availability of the OE stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
I, I agree. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think it'll be exciting. Um, but ultimately, I mean, just if you look back, you know, even probably two years, uh, much less three to five years where the industry was, you know, it's, it's really amazing how quickly, you know, how quickly it's grown. So um, hopefully, hopefully much more to come. So, so where, where can people find you? So obviously, you know, I mentioned, I follow you on Instagram. Um, you have the YouTube channel as well. Uh, any other places? Are you, are you out there anywhere else talking about this stuff? Uh, no, I really, that's, that's kind of it. Um, I used to, you know, probably 10 years ago, be fairly involved in a, a number of different online forum communities, but that's, um, that really just seems to have kind of dropped off a bit, um, you know, in past years, everybody's kind of taken to the social media platform. So uh, really just kind of Instagram is where I document most of what I'm, I'm doing on a daily basis and um, try to make uh, YouTube videos whenever I have time. Um, so yeah, the Instagram name is uh, Tesla underscore Beamer. And then uh, same thing, the, the YouTube is uh, Tesla Beamer. Nice. Awesome. So anyone interested, definitely, definitely check him out. Uh, some very cool videos, uh, very cool pictures, and really did a great job of, of documenting the project. You get a good feel for the challenges and how he did it. And definitely some cool videos of the uh, performance aspect of it. Uh, so definitely check it out. And, uh, you know, Thanks. Thanks, John, for for joining the podcast. And, um, you know, I'm really glad we're able to connect and share share your story and your thoughts around EVs and EV conversions. Yeah, it's been uh, been great to chat about it. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope it was a valuable podcast. And looking forward to uh, many more to come.